0: This is Levi and a little bit different take on how things are arranged in this chapter because what we have here is really a line of the high priests from Aaron down father through son. Um, So just removing all of the father of, son of things, you get this list. Aaron, Eliezer, who was Aaron's what number son? Do you know? Third. Yeah, third. Third. The first two were put to death. Um, they offered unauthorized fire, probably in the Holy of Holies, but maybe just in the holy place. But Eliezer, his son Phineas. Phineas, by the way, is still there through most of the early chapters of the book of Judges. So that's how far along we get with Phineas. Then Abishua, Buki, and Uzi. And those are names you probably don't recognize, except that Uzi could be another name for Eli. Eli is the high priest in the beginning of 1 Samuel. Um, and uh, he's not in the regular lists. There are some Jews who have done a lot of thinking and researching about this who think that actually Uzi and Buki too um, were the end of the line of, of um, Eliezer's line and that his brother uh, is the one who then was taken up with the Eli branch until another appropriate high priest was available later back in the line of Eliezer, but it's kind of convoluted, and I'm not going to uh, make you wrestle through that because First Chronicles doesn't make you wrestle with that. Um, but then the, li- the line goes on, uh, Zerahiah, Mariah, Amariah, Ahitub, Zadak, Ahimaaz, Azariah. And Azariah is notable because Jesus mentions him um, as the high priest when David was looking for bread that one time. Remember that one? And he gave him the, the bread, the, the show bread. Then you have um, the guy, the next one, who you, you kind of think is probably pronounced what? Johannan? Johanan? Probably Yochanan. Um, And it was he, Chronicles tells us, who served as priest in the temple Solomon built in Jerusalem. So a generation after David. Another Azariah and Amariah and Ahitub and Zadok. And Zadok should be a name that you maybe have flitted past you um, a little bit later on. Uh, Zadok is high priest. Um, a little later on, then there's a Shalem, Hilkiah, Azariah, Sariah, and Josadak, who was deported along with the exiles by King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, now, there is another branch of the priestly line, and I don't know exactly where this fits, but I'm going to read it to you. As for Elkanah, the family line of Elkanah was his son Zophai, his son Nahath, his son Eliab, his son Jehoram, his son, Elkanah, that would be Elkanah second, And his son, Samuel. This is the prophet Samuel. That's his father's name in the book of Samuel. The sons of Samuel were Joel, the firstborn, and Abijah, the second son. So it seems like we're being told that, oh yeah, remember that prophet that was around in David's time? He was from the line of the priests also. And does this help you a little bit with Samuel's mother? Because where does she take him the minute, I mean, her womb is closed. She goes and prays. Eli scolds her for being drunk, that whole story. She finally gets pregnant. And what does she do with her baby? She offers him to the Lord. She takes him to the tabernacle. But if they're all from the priestly line, she's getting her family line back into the priestly family. Um, What she does is unusual because the boys were evidently, as Levites, supposed to go and sort of apprentice around the age of 20 or 25. Instead, Samuel goes around the age of two, two and a half, um, as soon as he's weaned. And she keeps taking him... You know, a robe and so forth. By the way, he was from, uh, uh, what's the town? Was it Ramah? And um, later on, he goes and lives there. So did his mother lose him to the tabernacle for the rest of her life? Well, he becomes a prophet and he lives up the street from mom. So, and then does his prophetic work later on. So the Lord uh, takes care of her. Chapter 7, got three chapters left and one really cool story, if I may. The tribe of Ephraim, this is where the story comes in. The descendants of Ephraim where um, Shuthala, his son Barad, his son Tahath, his son Eli- um, Eliadah, his son Tehath, or Tehath II, his son Zabad, his son Shuthala, uh, or Shuthala II, and also Ezer and Eliad. Now, Ezer and Eliad are just kind of tossed out there, aren't they? Now, how far down from Ephraim do we seem to be here? How many generations? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven? Except where do Ezer and Eliad go? Are they part of the seventh generation or are they the brothers of Shuthala, up, at the, up in the second line? Where do, the, where do those, those boys fit? Grammatically, it could be almost anywhere. Um, it would make the most sense if they are the, the brothers of Shuthala. But I'm going to ask you, are you going to let me get away with saying that they are the first Shuthala's brothers? and not the second Shuṭhala's brothers. I have a reason for wanting to say that. And that's because of the second half of verse 21. Let's go on here. These two, that is, let's go back, Ezer and Eliad, okay, those two. There are three demonstrative pronouns um, in Hebrew. Zeth, Zot, and Elah. Zeth is that guy. Zot is that girl, and Elah is those. Okay, And here we have Elah, those guys, these two, Ezer and Eliad. These two were killed by the native men of Gath because they came down to take away their livestock. Ephraim, their father, mourned for them many days, and his brothers came to comfort him. Whose brothers? Ephraim. Ephraim's brothers. Who are Ephraim's brothers? It's the patriarchs, yeah. yeah, especially Manasseh. His, you know, but but the other brothers too. Um, uh, he went to his wife. This is Ephraim. And she conceived and gave birth to a son, and he named him Bariah because there was trouble in his house. Um, so. It, it, it appears to me that this happened while Ephraim, the man, the patriarch, Joseph's son, was still alive. Therefore, around 1830 to 1800 BC, a time period we usually think we know nothing about in the Bible. This is Jacob has given the blessing and died, right? And when Jacob gave the blessing, the boys were on his knees, well, now the boys are grown up and they have sons. So the generation has gone by, and these two boys got killed by who, who are native men of Gath. Philistines. Yeah, the um, uh, Philistines were the the now now we have something fascinating here in Chronicles. Why would you say? native men of Gath as opposed to men of Gath. What's the difference? See, yeah. Um, the, the dis- I, I told you last week a little bit about Dr. Brug's discoveries with pottery about the Philistines. That the Philistines, didn't I say that last week? I wasn't. Oh, okay. Um, anybody else? Maybe you were all napping. I don't know. It was kind of a boring class last time. You did. You did. Okay. Okay. Um, But Dr. from who was here at New Ulm when I was at school in New Ulm, and then he was at the seminary. When I was at the seminary, I follow along like a puppy. He was my editor for the Wartburg Project and so forth. His doctoral thesis is on the Philistines, and especially their their pottery as it relates to the the unique um, amalgamation of the Greek cafterites, the men of Crete, who seem to have moved in to Western Palestine and settled in Philistia. And rather than a war happening, they said, hey, we could maybe coexist here. And they did. Um, their pottery shows that, and the biblical record shows that they did that. And what you have in David's time are ordinary five-foot Philistines and extraordinary Nine-foot Philistines who are rare and kind of dying out also. After the David stories, there are mentions of a couple of those giant nine-footers, like Goliath's brother Lami and so forth, but that's kind of the end of that um, in David's time. They were dying out and probably did die out. Um, um, but what happened here? Let me go back to this thing. These two were killed by the native men of Gath. Okay. But now who are we talking about in the, rest, in the rest of verse 21? Because they came down to take away their livestock. This is a grammatical question mark. Who was the they and who was the there? Who was taken whose livestock? Okay. So was it the boys going up to make a raid because it's not that far from Goshen, where Jacob's family was living, up to, up to Philistia. So, did the boys go up there to steal some Philistine sheep? Or did the Philistines come down to steal those prized sheep of Goshen? And therefore, are the boys killed up in Philistia? Or were they killed here in Goshen, I'll say, defending their flocks from Philistine raiders? They weren't enslaved yet. Joseph is still right. virtually the king of Egypt. Right. The, these guys are running around like they, like they got nothing to do but watch their sheep and play Nintendo all day. They, uh, they, they're not enslaved yet. No, I'm wondering which one it is. Did, did, are the Philistines the raiders or are Ephraim's sons the raiders? And knowing what we know about Jacob's family, could be either one couldn't it and uh, I mean are they are they the heroes or are they maybe the anti-heroes and we honestly honestly I can't say which one it is I don't know maybe although Joseph Joseph strikes me as a kind of a guy who maybe raised pretty good boys so they they could have been defending their flock but I, it just it goes both ways, doesn't it? It could have been either one, and maybe that teaches me something about all of us. Um, am I capable of being the the saint with with you know with with the halo above my head, and am I capable also of terrible wrongs? I'm capable of both, aren't I? Yeah, it could go both ways in my lifetime. Anyway, uh, Ephraim gets another son, Bariah whose name means trouble. I hope it didn't mean troublemaker, but just trouble, but you never know. Chapter 8. Actually, I was going to mention that. Thank you. It's in my note here. Um, this story of the two of the, of the death of the two sons of Ephraim and the replacement son, Bariah, that's the line that Joshua comes from. Okay. Yeah, that, that explains Joshua's place in it, because if people say, "Well, Joshua comes from somebody named Bariah," where does that come from? Now they have the story in place. So no, he's one of the twelve spies. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay, mm-hmm. nice. Just as Caleb is. anybody remember what tribe Caleb's from? the The two good spies. He's from Judah. Oh. Right. Caleb is from Judah, and and uh, and uh, Joshua is from is from. Uh, Ephraim. Chapter 8. Beginning of the Saul story now. But, but, whoo, where does Saul start? Um, if I had a baseball card about my terrific one-day baseball career, I'm sure I would get fired after one day, but uh, it would say that I throw right and bat Left, because that's the kind of guy I am, right? If I do everything left-handed and I'm in the Bible, I'm from what tribe of Israel? Benjamin. Benjamin. Almost everybody you meet in the Bible who's left-handed is from the tribe of Benjamin. By the way, everybody in the Bible you ever meet whose name is Saul is also from the tribe of Benjamin, including the Apostle Paul. So, who is the other famous lefty in the Bible, though? Here we go, Ehud, the left-handed man. Yeah, the first, after, after uh, the, um, the, 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 the son of, uh, what's his name? Um, we end up with Ehud as really the first of the judges. Yeah, so these are the sons of Ehud. They are the heads of the father's households for the inhabitants of Geba who were exiled to Menahath? I'm going to come back to that word, Menahath, Namely, Naaman, Ahijah, Gera, who led them into exile, and he became the father of Uzzah and Ahihud. Um, so we have a very condensed family tree from the book of Judges to, to the Babylonian exile. Um, so condensed with what? Three names? Four names there? Uh, not very many names. No, it's, I guess it's five and all, but still. But let's go back to Ehud. Judges chapter 3. Again the Israelites cried out to the Lord and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, son of Girah the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. And what do you know about Eglon? Yeah, if uh, 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 Jeff's... Head is the head of Eglon. The table is the circumference of Eglon. Can I? Can I do that? He was a very, very fat man. Yeah, morbidly, obese. even beyond morbidly obese. Even, because um, what happened to the sword? The yeah, the, he lost the sword. I mean, lose a sword. Um, so, all right, I'm going to skip over the gross part, if you don't mind. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong, not a man escaped. That day, Moab was made subject to Israel, and the land had peace for 80 years. Ehud, the second judge. Um, so, and I I, I really wonder, in, in fact, in my Leviticus commentary, I have children talking about this, but that's just fiction, but... Um, I wonder if Ehud was the judge that they kind of all looked up to for many many years after that. You know, they they had this and that judge for a while, but all of them kind of were not the greatest of guys. Um even Gideon had issues and his son had issues and so forth, but Ehud Ehud saved us. You know, and I and I kind of wonder if they just if the kids looked up to Ehud for a long time afterwards. That's just my impression that I get. Um, so back to the sons of Ehud, they were exiled to Manahath. So they would come back to that name. Manahath is an unknown location, but it might be connected with. Remember, we had these half of Manahath references way back in chapter two. We had I, I pointed that out to you. We had one group who occupied half of Manahath and one who occupied half of Manahath. And here we have the descendants of Judah. Um, And that points, by the way, to this being a Babylonian exile and not the Assyrian exile. That's why I'm bringing it up, is because we wonder where did Benjamin go? Was Benjamin part of the northern exile or the southern exile? And this seems to say that Benjamin went with Judah into the Babylonian exile. Therefore, the Benjamites came back again. And that fits because um, that's, that's the record that we have also in Ezra and Nehemiah. There were people from Benjamin who, who returned. Does that make sense? Do you get why I'm even making the point? Or isn't it that important? I mean, it doesn't really affect gas prices in New Alm today, but anything like that. But here we are. Now, also in this tribe, we were in verses 6 and 7 here. I'm going to jump ahead. Verse 33. Ner became the father of Kish. Kish became the father of Saul. Saul, the father of Jonathan, Melchishua, Abinadab, and Eshbael. Eshbael's other name is Ishbosheth. Okay? So, uh, Saul's, these, this is the Saul that becomes King Saul. Saul, the son of Kish. Um, and that's that's uh, how, as far as we're going to go in chapter 8 here. I want to get to, just dip into chapter 9, um, but let you know that, because this verse is going to be repeated in chapter 9. As I said, we're, we're stampeding ahead to Saul to get to the David stories. But Ishbael, um, Ishbael means man of Baal, and the writer of Samuel doesn't like to say that. And so he says, the man of shame which is Ishbosheth. So he changes his name um, and maybe maybe other people did that too they didn't want to call him Ishbaal man of Baal so they called him man of shame instead. Be careful what you name your child other people may call your child something else. Chapter 9 still in Saul. So all Israel was enrolled by their genealogies, and these were written in the book of the kings of Israel until Judah was carried away captive to Babylon because of their unfaithfulness. So the descent of those who returned from the captivity now. So the, if I can just do a quick out loud timeline for you. Israel goes down to Egypt in the 1800s BC they come out of egypt under moses in 1446 BC throughout the 13 and 1200s were in the years of the judges okay then and 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 we we we've, we've returned from uh, from egypt now then 1100s is that is that is um Thousand, is it 80 to 40 or so? This is Saul, then there's David, then there's Solomon. Each of those three men are on the throne for 40 years or more. That's a long time under those three guys, and yet that's simply the lifetime of Moses. Same as Saul, David, Solomon. Um, uh, and then the kingdom is divided under Solomon in 930 and then uh, the 880s are a terrible time. By 7:20, the northern tribes have been carried off by the Assyrians. By six was it 6:30? Something um, is, the, is the carrying off of the southern tribes. And in the five 80s or so, the southern tribes come back, and that's where we are now. Okay. This is about a thousand years after Moses. Okay, That's how far we've come in a couple of chapters of names. So about one page of phone book, and we've done a thousand years here. So Israel is enrolled by their genealogies. These were written in the books of the kings of Israel until Judah was carried away captive to Babylon because of their unfaithfulness. Now the first group of inhabitants who settled in their property, in their cities... Consisted of Israelites, priests, Levites, and temple servants. So four groups. The temple servants. Do you remember? I don't. And I, this is the, the group called the Kenites, and they were made to carry water because they lied about where they were from and so forth. So they're they're kind of listed as extra. But they came back. Some of the Kenites came back too. But what's the difference between a priest and a Levite? All priests were Levites, not all Levites were priests. Um, When a Levite got to the age of 30, if he had been training for the priesthood and was eligible for the priesthood, he probably would become a priest. So pretty much if you were a young man in your 20s, you had all your fingers and toes, you had a good marriage, you were eligible to be a priest. And if you went to the temple and learned or the tabernacle and found out what they were doing you would probably called up to be a become a priest some of them weren't but probably you would be and then you served until you were 50 now at 50 you're no longer no longer eligible to serve as a priest you had to step back however if you had been a priest you were allowed to assist or instruct so then you would be kind of become the old professor priest. And you might also just as the young priests are performing the sacrifices, you might be standing over on the sidelines and say, oh, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, remember, you know, and things like that, and as they or as um my first day of liturgy here at St. Paul's, almost 21 years ago now, I had never before seen a freestanding altar. Okay? I'd only stood at the altars that are at 95% of all Wells churches up against the back wall, right? So what does the minister do when he says, let us pray? He turns back and faces the altar, right? Well, here I am at St. Paul's New Alm. I say, let us pray. And what do I do? I turn around and face the back wall. And over to my... Uh, uh, from your congregational perspective to my right, which was my right because I was facing that way, this old gravelly voice from the chair over there says, who are you talking to? So that was Pastor Henning letting me know that I had not done that correctly. Um, Zechariah did not go into the Holy of Holies. That is so horribly misplaced in our literature that I wish it weren't. He went into the holy place because a priest, probably once in a lifetime, got sent in um, to offer incense at the incense altar, which was in front of, not behind, the curtain in the holy place. No, All right. no, none of that. He, and, and there beside the altar of incense was the angel that appeared, but not by the Ark. Thank you. Yeah, he could not have gone into the Ark of the Covenant. And you would never have cast lots to go to the Ark of the Covenant. No. That's for the high priest only. Yeah, besides, in, by the time of Zechariah, this is John the Baptist's dad, the Ark wasn't back there anyway. It had been gone for a thousand years. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. But our our illustrations really limp. With all of what we say about the Ark of the Covenant, our illustrations limp. Uh, Lately, I've been focusing just on where do the poles go on the Ark of the Covenant? Because now having built one myself full-sized, I realize that almost all the illustrations get that wrong. Because um, what the text says... Is that the poles were to be attached were to go to the rings, which were attached to the feet? Now there's a question about what does that mean, but either they were way at the bottom, which means that that thing was incredibly top-heavy, because you have a solid gold cover that's three feet by two feet, or whatever it was, at the top, and I would be terrified of carrying that thing around. Um, or, uh, does it mean something else? Did those feet which really means anvil, it's not the word for foot, it's the word for anvil. It's the base of the Ark of the Covenant in Hebrew. And does that mean that those platforms, did they extend up around the sides of the Ark to hold the thing together securely like we would call them like uh, uh, external bands or something like that? And therefore, at about the top of those things is that where the rings went, for the poles to go through, which would make a lot of sense um, so you can carry it. But um, in much of our artwork, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, honestly, looks an awful lot like a casket. And they make the Levites look like they're casket bearers. Like as if they just took that picture and retouched a couple of things and it, it just it doesn't look right. But anyway... Let's get back to our text. We have just a couple minutes here left. So people from Judah, people from Benjamin, people from Ephraim, people from Manasseh lived in Jerusalem. This is verse 3. So exiles, returning exiles from these tribes, did live in Jerusalem. But remember, when they came back from the exile, nobody wanted to. So what did Ezra have to do? He held a lottery. And if you lost, you had to move into town. Well that makes sense. If you have beautiful pasture land and farmland or the stone ruins of a burned out city, which one do you want to live in? I would want to live out in the country. But everybody's name went into the hat and Ezra picked out every tenth name, you got to live in town. So they were they forced them to come and live in town. And honestly, if I were one of the people who got to live out in the pasture land, I would have grabbed a, a spear and said, yep, yep, you got to go. Move into town. I'd have been a guard to make sure that they went there because I won the lottery. So I'd make sure. But that's what they did. Now the musicians, these are the singers, head of father's household, the Levites, who lived in the rooms at the temple. That's what I wanted to show you. And were free from other service because they were busy with their work day and night. These are the musicians. They got to live in the temple. But of course, in Ezra's time, the temple was a burned-out ruin, so they had to fix it and rebuild it. And these were the heads of the fathers' households of the Levites throughout their generations. Had been these lived at Jerusalem. Well, they were probably chosen because of their talents. In that case, they were chosen. Well, Levites? Yeah, they were chosen. Yeah. Then we have this repeated verse: G. L. The father of Gibeon lived in Gibeon. His wife' name was maacah her first son, her firstborn son, was Abden. By the way, Abden is the name of one of the judges, and kind of wonder if, because the time period works out, was he maybe the Abden, um, who uh, is the ancestor of King Saul? I don't know. So followed by Zur, Kish, Baal, Nur. Nadab, Gidor, Ahio, Zechariah, and Mikloth. Mikloth was the father of Shimean. They too lived near their relatives in Jerusalem. Nur was the father of Kish, Kish the father of Saul. Do you understand that we've gone back in time to the days of the judges again? We jump around like this with not much um, hint. Saul, the father of Jonathan, Melchishua, Abinadab, and Eshbael, or Ishbosheth. So once again we've come to King Saul. And in the next chapter, we're going to review the story of Saul's death. Not his reign, but just his death in chapter 11. So I'd like to ask these questions. These returning exiles are asking Are we still God's people? What's the chronicler's answer? Well, where do we all live? We live back in Israel. We've returned. Some people even have to live in the, in the, in the city. Do we have a temple? We're working on it. We're building it. Do, although, do you know the story of Haggai? The prophet Haggai? It's the second shortest book of the Old Testament. Um, Haggai uh, is a prophet sent to the returning exiles. They were sent a bunch of wonderful um, uh not pine, but uh, it's kind of pine. But, uh, cedar boards. the Piles of cedar lumber um, to work on the temple. And after a generation, Haggai shows up. And he says, what nice paneling your houses all have. What happened to the cedar boards for the temple? That's the theme of the prophet Haggai, basically. Yikes. So, and, but to go back to our list here, do we have priests serving in the temple? Yeah, we do. Do we have the family of the Savior among us? Yes. We do. Are we still yes. God's people? Yes. Yes. We are a burned out stump, but praise God. There's not much left, but still. But still. Next time we'll go from Saul to David, and the story will get much more familiar. Thank you for bearing with me in these genealogical chapters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Orleans, Minnesota.